Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 in conjunction with Pentecost Sunday. Now I know last week was Pentecost Sunday and we talked about, I preached about the Holy Spirit and I told you I wanted to do it at least one more Sunday and I still haven't decided yet whether I'll pick it back up again after Father's Day with an additional message on the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to be looking at Pentecost Sunday again. We're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and the title of the message today is Holy Spirit what does this mean? Last week we talked about Holy Spirit under the influence. And if you missed that, you weren't here, you weren't able to watch it yet, I encourage you to go online and watch it or listen to it. Because it's talking about how we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because there's so many other influences in our lives and in our world. And we need God's presence and power through His Holy Spirit in our life to live the life and do the work that he's called us to do. So today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit again. And the question is, what does this mean? We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. And that question comes right out of the text. After all the things that happened on Pentecost Sunday, people are like, this is crazy. That's not in the text. That's in my understanding of what they were thinking. But what does this mean? And we're going to talk about that today. But I want to start off by just talking about the fact of as we live our life, we have different types of days. And what I mean by that, there are special days. Um, like I said, many of you sent a card, gift, whatever, for my birthday. Had a lot of people this morning and even yesterday who asked me, how was your birthday? And I had a good birthday. Thank you very much. But there's this expectation that your birthday is going to be a special day or it should be a special day. We talked about how next Sunday is Father's Day. That should be or can be a very special day. There's other special days. And then there's just the everydays. You know, you go through life, you live your life, you go to school, you go to work, whatever it is that you do, and it's just just kind of everyday. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, there seems to be two types of people. There are some people who just live for the special days, and there's other people who's like, I don't mind the special days. I like the special days, but I just like an everyday schedule. So just for the fun of it, let's take a survey. How many of you, it's like the special days. I mean, I just live for the special days. I go through the everydays because I got to do it, but the special days, that's where my life is. Well, uh, just a small amount. How many of you are like me? Um, not that that should give you a, uh, you know, any more impetus to vote for this. It's just, just the everyday. I like being in a routine. I like doing my normal stuff, just the everyday stuff. How many? And I guess the rest of you would just rather not live. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, if we look back on the everyday things, it's like, well, there's not a whole lot to remember about because it's just an everyday thing. But we look back on the special days. And we remember special days. And that can be good or bad. I mean, there are days that are, quote, special days that we may have very vivid memories about that um, are not a good thing. You know, some of the crises and things that we've experienced in our own personal lives or in our nation. You know, the assassination of JFK, the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. I want to ask how many of you actually remember that personally. That's been a little while ago. 
9-11, probably most of us, many of us remember that. Remember where we were when we heard the news of 9-11. But then we have special days that we do remember that are positive. Weddings. Hopefully your wedding is a special day that's a positive that you remember. The birth of a child. Other things like that. But today we're going to be looking at a special day. As I already mentioned, we're going to be looking at the day of Pentecost. And as I'm thinking about the disciples, and they traveled with Jesus and, and, and lived with Jesus and learned from Jesus. They were followers of Jesus and, and uh, he was just instilling all this stuff into their life. And as we read the stories in the Gospels, we see all the phenomenal, miraculous things that Jesus did and that the disciples themselves did too because they were empowered by the Spirit that God gave them as Jesus sent them out. And I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if you were to ask the disciples, what special days do they most remember? Now, we don't have a lot of details about a number of the disciples and what they did and how they did it, but we do have a couple of them that stand out. I think of Peter. There's probably more stories about Peter than any of the other disciples. And if you were to ask Peter, what special days really stand out to you from your time with Jesus and from your life? He'd probably have a big, long list. You know, just looking at Peter's life. Well, man, that one time I got out of the boat and walked on the water, you know. That time that Jesus called me and he gave me this humongous catch of fish. I'd never had anything like that before in my life. Maybe he'd talk about the day that he and James and John went with Jesus to the top of the mountain and Jesus appeared in all his glory, the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe he'd think about various miracles that God allowed him to perform as he traveled with Jesus and even after. But I would say that probably one of the days that stood out most in his mind, and I'm certainly not trying to give a priority because I don't know what's in his mind, would be the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. This is a day that I'm sure stood out in the minds and in the memories of all the disciples, and not just the disciples, but hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of people who were there that day and saw and experienced all the events that happened. It was a day that changed the lives of the disciples and changed the lives of those that were there and through them changed the lives of the world. In fact, that started a work of God that as it spread across the Roman Empire, in one city at least, people said, these are the people who are turning the world upside down. Actually, they were turning it right side up. It was already upside down. But it was just so phenomenal and the impact is still felt today. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be reading quite a lengthy passage here, so I encourage you to follow along. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we pick up the story after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And before he ascended to heaven, he had told his disciples, I've got a work for you to do. You need to take this good news to the world. But before you go, wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Wait until I send to you the promise of the Father. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered to do the work that I've called you to do with a power that you don't have on your own. So they're waiting. They're waiting. If you read Acts chapter 1, they're waiting. And while they're waiting, they're praying. They're seeking God. They're studying God's Word. They're taking care of business. They're going to the temple to worship, but they're waiting in prayer. I can imagine that they are thirsty. Jesus promised something. They don't know when it's going to come. They don't know it's going to be 10 days, but they keep seeking God. And we get there in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. Now, let me just say, I think this is stating more than just the fact that they were all gathered together in the same place. I think this is a pointing to the fact that they were in unity. They were together. They were together seeking God for what Jesus had promised. They were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You see, they gathered from all over the Roman Empire to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? These are people that lived in Galilee. They were Jewish people. They probably knew Hebrew. They knew Aramaic. They probably knew Greek because it was the language of the culture. But now they're speaking in languages they had never learned. Languages they didn't even understand themselves as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And these people that had come from all over the world who did speak other languages could hear what they were saying and understand that they were speaking the praises of God. It goes on. In verse 9, listing the various places in the world where they're from, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's where we get the question that's the title of our message today. We want to talk about what does this mean? Verse 13, but others were mocking. They said they're filled with new wine. They said they're drunk. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, that's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. Pause it for just a second. It's like, what is he talking about with all these supernatural signs in the sky? It doesn't say that happened on the day of Pentecost. I believe that what he's saying here is that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon God's people would continue to happen all through history until the end of time when Jesus comes back and these supernatural signs will be prevalent during that time. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And he goes on and he preaches some more to them and talks about Jesus and how God sent Jesus. And, and even though some of them that were actually in that crowd were involved in the process of condemning Jesus and calling for him to be crucified. And he was crucified and he died and he was buried, but God raised him from the dead. If you jump down to verse 36, we get to the conclusion of the comments that are recorded here. Although Luke says he said a whole lot of other things. Good preacher, he preached for a while. But anyway, verse 36, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. So we get our title, this question, what does this mean from verse 12? All these supernatural, miraculous events that happened on the day of Pentecost, a couple before the Holy, the Holy Spirit was even poured out. It talks about the, the wind, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And the way it's expressed here, it doesn't make it clear whether there actually was a phenomenally rushing mighty wind or just the sound of one. And then it says that there was the appearance of like tongues of fire. Doesn't seem to indicate that there was actually literal fire that came down and rested on each one. But what looked like tongues of flame would rest on each of the, each and every one of those that were gathered together. And, and this is a whole nother study, but this is symbolic of the presence and power of God being manifested as you read through the story of God's people through the Old Testament. There are so many times when God's presence and power was manifested in the wind. Especially in the wind that blew all night long and divided the Red Sea so God's people could cross on dry ground. We see many times in the Old Testament when God's presence and power was manifested in fire. So that's what we see here. And that's all happened before. But then when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were empowered in a supernatural way. They began to speak in tongues. And it's interesting, the people see these things, they're amazed, they're questioning. You know, we look back on it and say, well, this is what God did, and it seems kind of normal because you read it in the Bible or whatever. But they had the exact same response we would if something like that happened in our midst, especially if there was no precedent for it. If this hadn't happened on the day of Pentecost, if we were gathered together and we were just good Christian people and we were worshiping God, and all of a sudden this ear-splitting sound of a rushing wind and it looked like fire was dropping through the ceiling and resting on each one of us and then this supernatural presence of God and we all began to speak languages we had never learned I think we'd all be pretty amazed too and anybody who was not a believer or follower of Jesus who would be able to observe that and experience that was like what in the world is going on what does this mean and there would be people that say What's wrong with these people? They must be drunk. Something weird's happening. Some were mocking, saying, oh, they're just, they're under the influence of wine. They're, you know, they've been drinking. 
already too much this morning. And you know, as we talk about Pentecost and we talk about God's work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what it means to be Pentecostal, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment, we believe that these experiences are still available to us today. That there are those outside in the world and sometimes even within the church who don't see things the way we do in God's Word that still make comments and may still mock. There's, there's one that I haven't heard for a long, 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 long time. But I've been told that back in history, the people who had experienced what we see here in the book of Acts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues that there are actually even people within the church that would say, that's of the devil. I never ever understood that one, how something that is explained and described in God's word is coming straight from God's throne. Somebody 2,000 years later would say, if it happens today, it's got to be of the devil. Don't understand that. But there are others who say, well, you know what? It was just for that day. It's not for today. Some who would say, well, it's just people that are caught up in some kind of emotional, psychological experience. And maybe you've even heard some of those things. Maybe you've even been taught some of those things. But I want us to put all that stuff aside for today and take a look at what the Bible has to say about what does this mean. We can't talk about everything it means because that would take forever. But I want to give you a couple of thoughts of what this does mean, what it meant then and what it means now. So this experience that happened on the day of Pentecost, what does it mean? The first thing I want to tell you is it means that God kept his promise. And on a little side note, I just want to say I am so glad that God always keeps his promises. I really expected a couple more amens from that one. That's okay. I'm so glad that God keeps his promises. But God had specifically promised that his Holy Spirit would come upon his people. And at one, and at some point in time, his Holy Spirit would come to dwell within and empower all of his people. We won't spend a lot of time on this today because I did it last week. But let me just bring a refreshing for those of us that were here and insight for those of you that weren't here. In the Old Testament, we see God's Holy Spirit coming upon certain individuals at certain times to accomplish certain things. It was in no way upon all of God's people. And sometimes it was only temporary. And it was usually upon leaders or those that God was using in some phenomenal way in the history of His people. Kings and prophets and judges. It would involve speaking. It would involve doing the miraculous. It would involve supernatural strength, both physical and mental and emotional and spiritual. But God promised that a time would come when all His people would be filled with the Spirit. I read for you last week Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I'm not going to read it today. But God's prophet was talking about how God's people throughout their history had so many times wandered from their relationship with God. They so many times started worshiping other gods and other idols. They were so many times in a place of rebellion. And through Ezekiel, God said, that's going to change one day. Because one day... I'm going to do a work on the inside of you. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And not only that, but I'm going to put my spirit within you. And my spirit within you is going to motivate you and empower you to live the right way. That's a, that's a paraphrase of what God said through Ezekiel. And then right here in this sermon of Peter, he quotes Joel chapter 2. 
verses 28 to 29, talking about how the Holy Spirit would come upon all of God's people, even the lowest of the servants, both genders, which today was like, well, duh, we're equal. But back in their culture, you know, the female gender was not near as important as the male and all that. You know, we're not going to dig into that. But he says it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter their social position. It doesn't matter anything else. If they're my people, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. Those are the promises in the Old Testament. And we see that when Jesus was with his disciples, he told them the time had come. Jesus had also promised to his disciples that this was going to happen. Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote the gospel of Luke. And when we get to the end of the gospel of Luke, that before Jesus ascended to heaven, in Luke 24, verses 44 to 49, I'm only going to read one verse of that, but Jesus is talking to them about how, you know, all the things that happened to him had been prophesied in Scripture, and he's teaching them about it and that kind of thing. And he says, now when I leave, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to take this good news to everybody. And in verse 49, he wraps it up and he says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He says, you're going to go out, you're going to take this message. But wait. Wait in the city. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father is fulfilled. In Acts chapter 1 chapter before Acts chapter 2 where we have the day of Pentecost another time when Jesus is talking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven it seems to indicate this is that very day he's going to ascend into heaven in just a few minutes and in Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 Jesus tells them again do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that actually had been spoken about about three and a half years before when John the Baptist showed up on the scene to prepare the way for Jesus. He called people to repent, to be baptized, to to show that their sins had been forgiven, to prepare for the one God was sending. He said, because somebody who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, before he sent it, the day is almost here. After I leave, you go and wait until it happens. Can I just tell you that this promise that the Father made in the Old Testament and was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost is a promise that is for us today. This promise is for us today. There are some good Bible-believing Christians who don't see it that way. And I don't understand exactly why that is unless there's an aversion to being open to the supernatural, to being open to all that God wants to do. And they say, well, that was just something God did back then. You know, to kind of kickstart the church, to get it all started. There's a lot of different reasons that are given or a number of reasons that are given as to why it supposedly isn't for today. Well, you know, they didn't have the word of God. And so once the word of God was completed, they didn't really need that. And I don't even see the correlation. It's wonderful to have the word of God, but we still need the power of God. And there's just a, just a number of different reasons. And we were not going to dig deeply into that. But can I tell you that there's absolutely nothing in Scripture that says that that promise would not be for today. In fact, There's every reason to believe that it is. In Peter's sermon, I read it just a minute ago, at the very, very end when they said, what should we do? The people were convicted. Jesus said, you were involved in crucifying Jesus. 
They said, what should we do? And they said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 38 and 39. For the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, what happened to us right now? You can have too. And he goes on to say, for this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off. I think he means distant wise, but I think it applies to all of history too. Because he goes on to say, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. All of us as believers have been called to God. We responded if we are believers. We've confessed our sins. We've repented. We've asked Jesus to be our savior. So this promise is for us. I mentioned this passage last week too, Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. When Jesus is teaching about prayer and about how our father longs to do good things for his children, for us as children, and how he will answer our prayers in a positive way, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can I just take a moment and tell you that this is how the assemblies of God began. We're an assemblies of God church. We don't make a big deal of that. We don't, not that we don't promote it, but I mean, it's, it's, we're just, we're just Jesus followers, right? But we are an assembly of God church. And as you look at different quote, denominations and religious, spiritual, Christian movements throughout history, the Assemblies of God is relatively young. It's only about 110 years old. You look at some of the other denominations and religious groups, um, and many of you are from other backgrounds, whether that's Lutheran or Brethren or or Baptist or or whatever, Presbyterian, um, congregation, there's all different kinds Some of them go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and even over a thousand years in their establishment. But the Assemblies of God, along with other, quote, Pentecostal denominations, was birthed out of this whole idea that this is still for today. What had happened was toward the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s, there were many great Christian men and women. I know a lot of young people were involved, too. And they were in good churches. And they were Christians. But as they read God's Word, and especially the book of Acts, they say, they said to themselves, there's something missing today. Why is it that we don't experience some of the same things that we see in the book of Acts? Why is it that we don't experience some kind of extra supernatural power and presence of God in our lives. We know we know God, and we know His Holy Spirit lives within us. God's Word is very clear that when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, His Holy Spirit dwells within us, but yet we don't see the same manifestations. We don't see the same results of the Holy Spirit being in us as we see in God's Word. They said, we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God. And they began to pray, and they began to seek God over a period of time, and right around the turn of the century, God began to pour His Holy Spirit out on these small groups of people. And they began to experience the exact same things that had been experienced on the day of Pentecost. 
the presence and power of God in a very significant and overwhelming way in their lives. They began to speak with other tongues. God began to do the miraculous. Now, let me be very quick to say that I'm not trying to say here that the miraculous should be part of our everyday life every day. I'm just saying God still does it. It's still for today. We pray for it. We believe for it. We see it happen. Sadly, many of these people went back to their churches and began to share what God had done and they got kicked out of their churches. Because those churches had had a stand it wasn't for today. And so over time, they began forming their own churches and those churches began to band together and they became what became what now is known as Pentecostal churches. And the Assemblies of God is one religious group Christian group that's come out of that along with the Church of God and Church of God in Christ and some other Pentecostal churches. So that's what it means to be Pentecostal, really. It just means to believe that what God did in the book of Acts, He still does today. And that that outpouring of the Holy Spirit in presence and power is still available to His followers today. And that that promise that God kept on that day, He still keeps today for those who seek Him. So what does this mean? It means God kept his promise. The second thing it means is that God empowered his people. God empowered his people. That same conversation Jesus had with his disciples in Acts chapter 1 where he says, listen, you know, you're going to go out, you're going to do all this stuff, but wait in the city until the promise of the Father has come. A little bit later on in verse 8, you have the key verse in the whole book of Acts. It, it tells the theme. It tells exactly what Luke's going to be talking about and recounting the history of the church and the two main things that are most important about that history, about what he's, what he's sharing. In Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, it's kind of broken down into that outline. It talks about God's Spirit coming and how they begin to reach people in Jerusalem. And then they begin to reach people in the surrounding area, their own people in Judea. And then how they begin to reach people in Samaria, which was where their enemies lived. And then they begin to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Two main themes in that verse, two main themes, the entire book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for power. And the purpose for that power is to be witnesses and to take the good news around the world. And so we see that on the day of Pentecost, God empowered his people. The message last week was being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that, that we need to walk in that power. We need to walk in that presence and, and under that influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I talked about a, a number of ways that that manifests itself that go along with what... Um, Acts 1.8 says here, we said that, that if we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we'll become more Christ-like in our character and lifestyle and we'll be more effective in witness and in service. And those things all tied together because the more Christ-like we become in our character and lifestyle, a better witness that we are. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to become more like Him and to live a life that's pleasing to Him, that's a witness to the world. And He also gives us power to speak and to be bold and to, as, as we yield to him and allow him to work in and through us and to share the gospel with the people around us and to be used in various areas of service that minister to people that already know him, but also to people who do not yet know him and they come to know him. It's interesting that Jesus, God himself, come to earth in the flesh 
experience this to a degree. What do I mean by that? We see Jesus' example. He himself did not go out into ministry until he had been anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. That's significant. When he's baptized, it says that God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, but it says that the Holy Spirit came down upon him in a form like a dove. And it speaks very clearly that that was the time of his anointing. And it says that when he left that place, he was led by the Spirit. And he went out into the wilderness where he was tempted. And when he came back from the wilderness, it says that he was empowered by the Spirit. I've preached that before. You can look at it yourself in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, and chapter 4, verse 1, and then verse 14. It talks specifically of how Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. We see this whole concept of being empowered by the Holy Spirit in Peter himself. We've been studying Peter on Wednesday nights. And we see such a tremendous difference in him from before Pentecost to after Pentecost because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And as I said, there are places they went. The one place in particular, people were complaining about what God was doing. And it says these are the people who have turned the world upside down. And can I tell you that just as this promise is for us today, so also this power is for us today. And we need it. And we need it. Now, am I saying that people that don't believe this is all for today, that they're not doing anything significant for God? No, I am not saying that at all. There are many good Bible-believing Christians who do not see the perspective of the Holy Spirit the same way that we as Pentecostals do that are doing great works for the kingdom. But all I can say is I believe that if they were fully filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as we see here in the book of Acts, how much more they could do. Because that's the purpose. I can illustrate this in my own personal testimony. I've shared many times that I had the privilege of being called to God, called to Jesus when I was 10 years of age. That at that age, the influence of my mother, some other things in my life, I came to the conclusion that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And I surrendered my life to Christ. I repented of my sins. You know, all the times I stole cookies and things like that, you know. Hadn't gotten old enough to do the bigger sins. But I was a sinner. I knew it. I had that conviction. And I repented and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I thanked Him that He died for my sins. And I was going to put my trust in Him. And and I began to live out that Christian life at 10 years of age. I loved to read, so I began to read the Bible. I mean, just, I was just, I was just so hungry. I was just so, I read and I read and I read and I read. I just, I just tried to grow and, and, and I, there's a lot of things I didn't understand and I began to learn more and more and more. But about two years later, when I was about 12, I can remember that my mom had started going to a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. Charismatic is very similar to Pentecostal. Just means the same thing, you know, that the Holy Spirit still does what he does, you know. And she started going to a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting on Friday nights. And she'd come home and tell us about it. She says, oh, it's just amazing. God's spirit moves in a way that I've never seen or experienced in any other way. And the worship and, 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 and spiritual gifts and, and God speaking and tongues and interpretation. People getting healed and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I want to go. And she says, I'll take you some time. I don't know why it wasn't immediate, but she said, I'll take you some time. And it wasn't too long after that that she did take me on a Friday night. It happened to be Good Friday. 
I remember very distinctly because I know what happened on Easter Sunday. And I'm not just talking about the resurrection. But on that Good Friday, she let me go with her to this Catholic charismatic prayer meeting. And it went into this room. It was a big, giant meeting room at an orphanage, actually. All these people sitting in kind of a big circle, rows of circles, you know, and they just began to worship God. I mean, this was back in the early 70s. I mean, they're playing guitars and, and you got the priests and the nuns up there that were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and just singing songs and everybody just really focused on the Lord and such a presence of God's Holy Spirit filled that room. There were words of encouragement and exhortations from scriptures that were shared, spiritual gifts of tongues and interpretation, various things. And I thought, I know Jesus, but this is something I don't know. This is something I've not yet experienced. And they had, this is really cool, too. After the prayer meeting was all over, they had snacks. I really enjoyed that as a 12-year-old, but uh, or almost 12-year-old. But they had snacks. They had a book table. I was looking at the book table. But I found out that they had this room where people would go in there if they needed something special from God. And my mom had told me about it, so I went in there, and it actually was like a big, giant janitorial janitor storage closet. Okay, but there's room and there's one chair in there. And if anybody needed to touch from God, they needed healing, needed something else going on in their life, or they wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they would sit in that chair and it was called the hot seat. And everybody that just felt like praying some more after the prayer meeting and praying for people would gather around and they'd lay their hands on it and they would pray for them. And I kind of was in there and I was watching that for a little bit. I thought that was really, really cool. Really, really cool. And I remember the next couple of days just really thinking about what I'd seen thinking about what these people had. And and I was sort of like what I described of the people back at the beginning of the 1900s that says, you know, I'm a Christian, but there's there's something I'm missing. And so I just felt that same way. You know, I know I know Jesus. I know I love Jesus and he loves me and I'm a Christian, but there's something more. And I decided I wanted it. So Easter Sunday, went to church. After church, we went to grandma's house. We went to grandma's house every Easter, every Christmas Eve, every Christmas and um, we had lunch, and uh, I didn't mention that, you know, my mom had taken me with her to that prayer meeting, but my aunt, I know you guys say aunt, many of you, anyway, she is also involved in that, and, and the whole family was together, and I don't know why I particularly went to my aunt, but I said, Aunt Rita, I said, I want to understand some more about this whole Holy Spirit thing. And so we went aside off into the guest room, and She began to explain. I don't remember all the things that she told me, but she began to explain all this stuff to me. And I said, I want that. And so she says, okay, let's pray. And she began to pray for me. And I experienced such a wonderful sense of God's presence and his power come over me. I began to speak in other tongues. I began to pray and praise God. And my grandparents had an acre or two of property. I just went outside and I was just praising Jesus walking around the property and stuff. So I know what it's like. I know what this experience is about. And and I know what it's like to know that I know Jesus. I love Jesus, but there's something more. And I want that something more. So what does this mean? God kept his promise. God empowered his people. And the third thing is God initiated his plan. You see, God didn't do this just to give us a wonderful experience that we can enjoy and feel good about, although that is true. We talked about that a little bit last week. If we seek to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit and have an experience with him just so we can feel good, just so we can get excited, but it doesn't change our life and motivate us and empower us 
to live for Him and do what He calls us to do, we're off track. Because the reason God did put His Spirit within His people, and He still does today, is so we can be effective at reaching the world. Going back to what I said earlier, when Jesus was talking to His disciples in Luke 24, verses 44 to 49, when He's talking about what everything that happened to Him, and He's explaining how that was told about in the Old Testament, and now it's been fulfilled, and they need to go out and tell everybody, but wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. In verse 47, he says that I'm going to send you out and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of this. And that's when he says, so wait for the Holy Spirit because that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what's going to empower them. The Holy Spirit is what's going to give them that extra whatever it is that they need to do this work. And as I quoted a few moments ago, Acts 1.8, when Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. On the day of Pentecost, this crowd gathered. I, I don't know exactly how it happened because it talked about how them being all together and at some point they were in the upper room and it says they were gathered in the house. But then this commotion happens and the next thing you know, thousands of people have gathered. So I don't know if it's like the, the meeting moved to the temple or maybe they were gathered in the house, but they were in the temple. With the, but however it happened... They ended up being in a public place and thousands upon thousands of people gathered. And Peter preached. They said, what shall we do? And he told them to surrender their lives to Christ. To repent of their sins. And it said that 3,000 people were saved that day. Those people would begin to take that message back home with them as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They began that work that God started on the day of Pentecost of taking the gospel to the world. They had come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost and experience something they never dreamed of. And when they went back, they began to tell people about Jesus. So you see the story of when others in the book of Acts begin to go to other places nearby, farther away, various parts of the Roman Empire. There's already some believers, probably because of people that were in Jerusalem on this day, on holiday, who had taken the message back and began to start telling people about Jesus. So this day was the beginning of the fulfilling of that great commission that's, that's, that's recounted throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Just like that promise is for us today, just like that power is for us today, let me just tell you that God's plan is still in effect today. We still have a world that needs to know Jesus. And God wants to use us to reach out to that world. And so can I just say this? We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit today. We need this presence and this power of God alive and active in our life. I said that there are other denominations that don't see this exactly the way we do. There are those that would say, well, you know what? The Holy Spirit comes to live within you when you accept Christ as your Savior. And I already said back a while ago, I agree with that. It's very clear in God's Word that the Holy Spirit indwells all Christians when they're saved. You can read about it later in Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If you have truly surrendered your life to Christ, you've repented of your sins, you're trusting in Him for salvation because of His death on the cross that paid the price for your sins, then His Holy Spirit dwells within you. And there are those 
Again, good Christian people say, well, that's all that there is. I mean, yeah, we need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need His presence and His power. We need all that stuff. But that's when you get it. That's all there is. That, that's what it is. Whereas we as Pentecostals say, no, that's not all there is. There's, there's a separate experience. There's, a, there's another anointing that God can put upon our lives. We would say that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience that empowers God's people. When the Spirit comes to dwell within us, it's to, to in fact, Paul talks about like the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. He makes us a part of the family of God. His presence is God's, just God's presence with us because we're part of His family now. We've been born again. But we see that this experience is an endowment with power, an anointing to be used by God. So what support do you have that it's a separate event? Well, you can study this on your own, and I've got more resources. If this is an area of interest to you, you want to learn more about it, I can give you some resources. We can talk about it. But just real quickly, when you go through the book of Acts, there are five specific times it talks about people being filled with, baptized in, receiving the Holy Spirit. And four of those five times, it happens after they've already been a Christian. You have here on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, it'd be very easy to say, well, that's the day God sent the Holy Spirit. So, of course, you know, they're already believing in Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So, of course, you know, it came later. And a case can be made for that, but... Still, it's true, they're already followers of Jesus. They're already saved. They're already Christians. They're already believers. And God pours out the Holy Spirit at a later time. But then we read of a revival that takes place in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. God sends a guy named Philip up there to preach the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel. And God's doing miracles. People are astounded. People are being saved. It says they're being baptized. They're believers. And the word gets back to Jerusalem. Now, remember, the Samaritans were the enemies. And so the word gets back to the church in Jerusalem, and they're like, will God really save them? I mean, we look back now and say, oh, my goodness, how racial, how prejudiced that was. I mean, that was just Samaritans. Forget the Gentiles. They, they didn't believe God would save the Gentiles at first. So would God really save the Samaritans? So Peter and John go to Samaria to see what's going on, to check it out, to see if this is really for real, that God was actually saving Samaritans. And they got there and they saw the fruit of the gospel. They saw people who had been saved. They saw people who were, had faith. They had been baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And it says they laid hands on them. Sometimes in Scripture you see people laying hands on people who receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's no laying on hands at all. But they laid hands on it. It says they began that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had not up to that point. It could have been days. It could have been weeks since the time that they'd accepted Christ as their Savior before they were filled. We see the example of Paul himself in Acts chapter 9. Paul, a great Jewish man who was zealous for God and thought that Jesus was an imposter, and so he did everything he could to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. He was actively involved in seeking out Christians and arresting them and trying to arrange for them to be imprisoned and even be put to death. And he goes on a trip out of town to go to Damascus to track down some more Christians, and on the way, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks to him. He says, why are you persecuting me? He knocks him flat. He's blinded. He goes into Damascus. And for three days. Now please understand that when Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, he came to know Jesus as Savior and as Lord. 
Jesus called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's in Damascus for three days. He's praying and seeking God about the next step. And God lays it on the heart of a man who lives in Damascus to go and pray for him to be healed and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias goes and he prays for him and he is healed. He can see again and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen at the time that he surrenders his life to Christ. It happens a couple of days later. Then you have the story in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. The first time we have recorded when God intervenes and reaches out to a bunch of Gentiles. Remember I told you they were very prejudiced back then because of their culture and their background. They didn't think God would ever do anything with Gentiles, but God did. Now that's one example where it shows that Peter goes to preach to them and God had to deal with Peter's heart to go there. Peter didn't want to go. These are Gentiles. And God says, listen, if I said they're for me, then you better go. That's a paraphrase of what happened. So Peter goes and he begins to preach and he tells them all about Jesus. They'd already heard a little bit about it, but he tells them about the gospel. And it says that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came down and they were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. So at that time, it happened at the same time. And then one last thing in Acts chapter 19. This is about 25 years later. Paul is traveling and he comes across these group of believers, these disciples in Ephesus. They're followers of Jesus. They're disciples. It calls them disciples. And every time, 25 times in the book of Acts, that that word, that title disciples is used in the book of Acts, except for one, when it talks about Paul's disciples, and it mentions specifically Paul's disciples. Every time it uses that word, it's talking about people who are followers of Jesus. And it says he came across some disciples, and evidently Paul sensed that, 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 that there was something that was missing there because he says, listen, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you've believed And the response basically indicates, well, we don't even know exactly for sure what you're talking about with this Holy Spirit thing or whatever. And so Paul prays for them and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues and they're empowered from above. So can I tell you that that's the reason why we, I don't mean just we in our church, but as Pentecostals believe that what was available to the early church is available to us today. And that, yes, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit does dwell within you, but God has more for you. God wants to fill you. God wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. It's not primarily just a one-time event, although it is initiated that way, but it's an ongoing event as we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, we need God's presence and power in our lives. If you're here today or you're watching online or watching the recording later and you don't even know Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step. You need to know Jesus as your Savior. I've already described a couple of times how that happens by turning to Him, repenting of your sins, putting your trust in Him and what He did for you on the cross instead of trusting in yourself. But then I believe that God wants all of us to seek the fullness of His Holy Spirit. Now let me just say this, because we have people in our church that come from all different kinds of backgrounds. We have people that come from the Baptist church, and as I said before, brethren, I mean, all different kinds. And, and you may, may be one of those, and some of you that are watching online or you're watching this recording, that may, you may be from a different background, different traditions, like, this is all kind of new to me. I mean, I see, you read it in Scripture, I see it there, but I, I was always taught that that wasn't for today, or I, I wasn't taught anything about it, and I, it just seems strange to me. And, and I just want to encourage you and challenge you to be open to what God wants to do in your life. And if you were to be even, if you were even to say, well, you know what? I have studied it. I'm just still not sure. Then what I would say to you is I think one thing that we can all agree on 
People who are truly in the body of Christ, whatever their spiritual background, denomination, or whatever, what can we agree on is that we need God's presence and power in our life. We need the Holy Spirit's work within our life. Whether we believe we got it at salvation, that's all we got to worry about, or it's something separate, different, uh, later. We need His presence and power in our life. And it is an ongoing thing. In Ephesians 5, I mentioned that last week was our primary scripture. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it means be filled in ongoing filling. It's a repeatable, it's an ongoing experience. We see in the book of Acts that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But then a couple chapters later, he gets up to speak and he needs a special anointing. And it says that he was filled again. So those of us who have had the experience I described earlier, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh filling. Can I just encourage you that even if you're not sure about all this Holy Spirit thing and filling thing, that you at least say, God, I need your presence and power. I want whatever you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. I want to finish by reading one more scripture. I just put it in my notes this morning so it's not in the PowerPoint, but in John chapter 7, while Jesus was still in the middle of his ministry and he's in the temple and he's calling out to people and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And I just want to ask you this morning as we wrap things up, we're going to go into a time of prayer. We'll leave here a little bit later, a little while. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. I've got what you need. I want to challenge you to be thirsty. Can I be so bold to say that whatever you've experienced in your relationship with God is basically what you want to experience? Because God promises that if we're thirsty and if we seek Him, He will continue to work in our lives in a powerful way. Let's all stand together. Whatever you believe about the Holy Spirit, do you want all that God has for you? Are you walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, even however you define that? Do you believe that in your life you experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as you seek to live for Him? Are you willing to thirst for and pray for and seek a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit? This is what I would like to do. There's no big pressure or anything like that. Our worship team is going to be leading us in a chorus, a song of worship about being in God's presence and seeking God's presence and wanting what He has for us. And I encourage you in these next couple of moments as they do that, that you just say, God, I want what you have for me. I want the fullness of your Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want your presence and power in my life. And I want to encourage and challenge you that if if there's a thirst in your heart today for a fresh touch, that you would come down here and just just begin to call to God and say, God, I need a touch from you.
I need a touch from you. I'm going to go down. I, I need a fresh touch. I want a fresh touch today. But I want to challenge you to come and seek one too. After I prayed for a minute and asked God to give me a fresh touch, I'll go around. Pastor Jan may do the same thing. Some of our elders may go around and just begin to pray for you that God will touch you. But don't just wait for us. Just say, God, I want a fresh touch. Let's take the time to do that. I'll come back and close in just a few minutes. But let's just seek God and ask him for a fresh touch today. that he would show us his glory when his glory comes down the spirit of God is so strong sometimes you can't even stand I want to encourage you today when you go home after lunch or even you you don't even have to eat lunch whatever you feel called to do I want to encourage you get along with God and seek his face pray and ask him, God, show me your glory. I desire to have your Holy Spirit working in and through me that I may be a witness for you. Can I tell you, my friend, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he will give you a prayer language that only he will understand. And the beauty of that is the devil cannot understand. And when you pray in your prayer language, you are praying, the Holy Spirit is praying the divine will of God through you. Can I tell you, years ago, bring the music down just a little bit. Years ago, we came home from a service and I said to my husband, I said, baby, something's wrong. I sense something so heavy in my heart. Something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And I begin to ask him, do you know if so-and-so's okay? And he said, baby, as far as I know, they're fine. And we talked through about several people and he said, honey, I don't know what it is. And we prayed and I just began to intercede with my prayer language. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for a couple of hours. And when I felt a release to stop, I went to sleep. The very next morning, at like six o'clock in the morning, my mother called me and she said, Jan, and she named a young man that I had taught in children's church when I was a teenager. She said he was in a car accident last night and they don't know if he's going to live. And she said, at three o'clock in the morning, your father and I were on the same road going to the hospital to be with his family. And the fog was so thick, we could not even see in front of us. And we were praying, God, take us there safely. And that was the very time, because we lived in Arizona, my parents lived in Georgia. It was three hours earlier where we lived. And that was the very time that I was interceding in the spirit. And that was what I know God had me praying. I didn't know what I was praying for. But God knew. And can I tell you, they said that this young man, his brain stem was severed. Now you nurses, you know if the brain stem severed, what's going to happen? He's going to die. But God healed him. And he is alive today. I'm telling you, there is power in the Holy Spirit of God. And oh, that we would seek Him. That we would desire to know God with everything within us. I believe with all my heart, Jesus is coming back. And there's a lot of hurting people. They're looking for the truth. And they need to see in us that we live what we believe.
We need that Holy Spirit fire, that Holy Spirit power that we would reach out to the lost. Friday night, we had a youth party and the Lord spoke to my heart. There were a bunch of teenagers that were not with us and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, go talk to them. And I went over and I began to talk to them and they were very open to me. They were, they were vaping. Some of them were drinking. But you know what? They need Jesus. And I told them about our youth ministry. And it was amazing. One said, okay, but do you actually do Bible study? Because I want to learn about the Bible. And I said, yes, we do Bible study. We learn about the Bible. And I'm going to ask you guys, we don't know these kids' names, but would you pray that the Holy Spirit of God would draw them to Him, that they would come and they would come to know Him. Y'all, it's time. I know next week's my week to preach, but I just feel the Holy Spirit upon me right now. It's time that we get out of our comfort zone and we be the witnesses He's called us to be. That we don't just say, oh, I love Jesus and I go to church on Sunday. But we live it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Then we will go out to the highways and the byways. And we will win the loss for Jesus. That is the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So throw out whatever you've been taught in the past that it's of the devil or it's not for today. And I promise you, God will not ever give you anything that is not of him. And seek his face and say, Lord, would you come and fill me now? I remember this young man by the name of Tim, not my husband, but another man. He didn't get filled at church, but he went home and he was praying by his bedside. And the Lord just gloriously filled him with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We don't understand why God chose that, the evidence of tongues, but he did. And we know that it's true. We know that he works. So I just challenge you today. Don't just say, oh, well, that was interesting. That was a good sermon. But go home and seek God. And if you would say, but I don't want to go home. I want to seek him now. You're welcome to come back down. Whatever you want to do. I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to stay down here. If anybody wants to pray, I'll pray with you. If you want to go home and seek God, go home and seek God. But let's seek him. Let's make a difference for him. Amen. Father God, we praise you today. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you, oh God, that you are a good God. You are perfect in all of your ways. Lord, we thank you that you desire to baptize us in your precious Holy Spirit. We ask you, God, to have your will and way in each of our hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, Go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaks.com.
kg.org.